Welcome to our last Tuesday of the month book discussion. Just a couple of librarians talking about books we think others might enjoy. December's read is Pull of the Stars by Emma Donahue. Spoiler alert, we usually end up discussing endings and key plot points. I'm Amy and joining me today is Jillian, Public Services Manager and Interim Library Director at Waterloo Public Library. Welcome. Thank you for having me, I'm very excited. Me too. I just loved this book in general. Plus, I just love talking about books all the time. So I do too. And I feel like I don't get to do it very often anymore. And so like, this is a nice, I don't know, getting back to why I really started in libraries. So this is great. So for folks who need a refresher or haven't read this book before and are just wanting to hear a couple librarians talk about a book. Pull of the Stars is set in Dublin during the height of the Great Flu in 1918. The story follows nurse Julia Power, who works at a hospital in the city center, where expectant mothers who are sick with the flu quarantine together. It's a very intense story, and I find it's really also tender in some places, and the characters just have a innate humanity that is really brought out very well by the author in contrast to kind of this bitter world that we see through Julia's eyes. And it was one of my favorite historical fiction books that I've read recently. Yeah. And I will be honest, when we selected this as the title, the author's name was familiar to me, but I was like, I'm not really sure where I'm thinking of her from. And the only other book of hers that I've read was the one called Room. And it's completely different than this. Like, it's the one that was turned into a movie with Brie Larson. And so I think she's just such a talented author to be able to do such vastly different genres and writing styles. So I will definitely be reading more of hers. Yes, that is the main reference point I had for her work as well. I think that's what a lot of people see. She also has done quite a bit of historical fiction. So this isn't her first foray into this genre, but it's a genre also, at least for me, I haven't read a whole lot in the World War I period. So that mm-hmm. was really cool. I also just don't read a whole lot of historical fiction though. But definitely in this book, I felt like because it takes place in a very turbulent point in Irish history, as well as world history, I kind of felt that, like I was saying, main character Julia has kind of a very cold viewpoint of the world based on her character's experiences during this time and also just maybe in general. But I think you could definitely feel that through each of the characters as well, just kind of the sense of urgency and the heightened stress of their situation. You know, I thought of her as kind of a very direct and no nonsense kind of person. And whether that is because, like you said, of the situation that they're in, not only is this pandemic happening, but she's working as a midwife in this hospital. And so, you know, anybody who has experience with childbirth or anything like that knows that it very rarely goes to plan. And so you have just all of these uncertainties and things happening so quickly. In the meantime, they have the flu, the people who these patients that are on her ward are dealing with this influenza. And so it was like she didn't have time to be anything but just very direct and kind of take charge and do what needed to be done. So I appreciated that about her. 
the other thing I wanted just to mention before I forgot about it, when we're talking about historical fiction, because I do read a fair amount of it. And I always love books that take place in such a short amount of time. And this one, I think, is like three days, especially when they're historical fiction, because I feel like it takes a really talented author to be able to really adequately kind of describe the setting and the time and the place and everything that was happening through only like the day-to-day events that are happening in the characters' lives. And so you have Julia, this nurse, who's working in this hospital, then, you know, there's other secondary characters, there's a doctor, and then, you know, the helper person who just comes in as a volunteer, then you have the patients being exposed to this time period. And then what's happening is just through the lens of this small cast of characters over the course of 72 hours. So it was just a really unique way to kind of present this plot, which, you know, the author wanted to write a book about the Spanish flu, because it was the 100 year anniversary of it when you know, she started writing it. So I just thought that was a really interesting way to do it. And it works really well because of the fast paced nature of a hospital, especially during a pandemic, and especially caring for patients who are pregnant. And the way that she creates story, mostly with characters because you don't really see much of a setting other than the hospital. And then that one point, Julia goes home and is kind of with her brother in that one scene. But other than that, it's entirely like based in the hospital. And so you have to see the world through people, which I thought, like you said, was a really good use of the genre. But also, I think that that helped when she's talking about I mentioned in the summary that the points of humanity really stand out to me. And I think that's part of the reason why too, is because it's such a condensed time period and you have to see it through the eyes of individuals, I think. So speaking of some of the other characters, sister Luke, who I immediately disliked, and I don't know if that's fair or not, but I don't know if we're supposed to like her necessarily either. So she wasn't very likable. So (laughs) she's stern but not in the same likable way that Julia is like no nonsense type of stern either. And maybe part of that is that we get Julia's point of view and kind of understand why she is the way she is when she's running a ward. And we get to see her outside of that context as well when with her interactions with her brother and with Bridie. But anyway, yeah, so not likable. And also the interactions we see Julie and Sister Luke, who at the end of the book, big spoiler, (laughs) I think it's Sister Luke, right, who is the one who takes the child and tries to take him back to, I guess, essentially the church or the orphanage that the church runs. I think one of the main differences between Sister Luke's kind of attitude and personality is that it stems from like a place of power. Whereas like Julia's kind of stems from a place of need, like she has to be this way because of the situation. But I got the sense that Sister Luke was that way because she was in this sort of role where it provided her with some power and and she used that to her advantage. That's how I took it anyway. No, that's a great point because you're right. I didn't think about it in the context of the amount of power that the church probably had not only in that hospital, but in general, in that time period in Ireland, that makes a lot of sense. And I wonder how much of it too, you know, we don't get Sister Luke's background, but I imagine that she grew up in the church 
whether that was, you know, she started as an orphan herself or, you know, whatever it is. But I wonder how much of her attitude and her demeanor and her personality and everything was a result of that as well. Whereas I got the sense that Julia and her brother, Tim, weren't raised in a really pious household or one that, you know, was very strictly religious. And so, you know, maybe they had a different upbringing that wasn't quite as strict. Now I sound like I'm defending Sister Luke and I don't mean to be because like you said, (laughs) she's not a likable character. But yeah, I got the sense that Julia was really distrustful of the church. And some of that was justified and like kind of confirmed from Bridie talking about her own experience being raised in that type of, you know, orphanage environment and all of the abuses that she suffered, whether directly at the hands of the nuns or because she was there and there were opportunities for that. So it's not, I wouldn't say a religious book at all, but that was so integral to that time period in Ireland because, you know, you had the conflict between Catholics and Protestants and on top of the war. And then, of course, the pandemic, like there was just a lot of layers to this book that I didn't really anticipate going into it. I thought, oh, this is going to be a book about the flu. And this is weird to be reading it at this time that we're going through this global pandemic as well. So, of course, there's going to be parallels there. But as you kind of dig into it, you find that you know, 103 years ago in Ireland isn't all that different from today, I guess. I agree. That was also something I didn't expect was the layered amounts of conflict, which just adds to the complexity of the experience. And I mean, it was really, like you said, really well done and really added to the story. And like on top of all this that she's experiencing, Julia doesn't normally run the ward. Like that's not normally her job. This extra duty and responsibility is kind of put on her. And then of course, like we find out that before this, no other child has been born in this ward. And she's now by herself trying to handle all these different women who continue to give birth. And she's like the only available trained staff person at this point until the new doctor arrives and then until she gets help from an untrained bridey but i'm curious how deliberate do you think that was on the part of the author like to cram so much activity and things happening into those three days well yeah until like that other added responsibility onto her it's stressful enough but gosh you just (laughs) yeah i mean i think it worked well to keep the story kind of moving And looking at like the patients that Julia and then Bridie and occasionally Dr. Lynn were caring for over the course of the novel, they all had very, very different backgrounds as well and upbringings and just different like living situations. And I thought that that was another really interesting and creative way to kind of paint the picture of this time period in Ireland, the difficulties that people faced in so many different ways, you know, and so, yeah, having that many different kind of secondary characters, I think, did a lot to just, again, kind of set the stage and the scene for what it was like back then, so. And the turn of phrase that you just use of setting the stage, it just struck me. I was like, oh my gosh, this would be really interesting as like a live production piece. I think that this would be really cool. I can actually just see it working really well on a stage and I would totally go see that show. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> it would really. I mean, I'm no playwright by any means. So let's <laughs> find somebody who can do that. <laughs> yes, please. So, one of the questions I think that we maybe kind of glossed over was the lack of normalcy and how that kind of affected some of the different characters. And I was thinking about that. And really, the only person that I thought of who seemed most affected by this change was Delia Garrett, who was one of the patients who came in. And she was on this ward because she had the flu and she was pregnant. But her lifestyle and her socioeconomic status was so different than the rest of the characters in the book. You know, she had money and she had means and things. And so it was like, she was really kind of put off by suddenly finding herself in this situation and felt everybody else really adapted well to the changes in their quote unquote normal everyday life. But it really felt like it threw her for a loop in particular. I was just curious to see what you thought about it too. Yeah, Delia Garrett. She was a, I don't remember the exact word that Julia used to describe her at one point, but after she had lost her child, there was a moment where Julia was like, I was glad to see she's gotten some of her bite back or something like that. But I totally agree that she was definitely one who outwardly at least seemed to vocalize her distaste or discomfort at what was happening. I also think that even though we don't see him very often and don't really get much perspective on him. Julia's brother, who is struggling and maybe not so much with the pandemic piece of it, maybe. So for those who haven't read, her brother comes back from the war, having served for several years, it sounds like, if I remember correctly, and doesn't talk to anybody and struggles with what we know of today as PTSD. So she kind of touches on what they have gone through when he's returned home a little bit. But he's the other character who I think we see who maybe has been greatly affected by what is happening during this time in history. And you're right, I think pretty much a lot of the characters seem to kind of just be pushing through especially the new doctor who comes through. I can't remember her name right now. So if you remember it. Is that Dr. Lin? In. Dr. Lin, yes. Was a real person. I thought that was really interesting. And I haven't looked too much into her like actual history and who she was, but I hope to do that. She was the only person who, you know, by name and everything was based on an actual person in the novel. And the author in the, it's the end of the book, not a footnote, but... The kind of- it was more of the author's note. Yeah. She mentioned, you know, some of the places where she got a lot of her research from. There were a few books written about this Dr. Lynn, and she sounds like such a fascinating character. I mean, she was arrested for political espionage almost, or, you know, like she was on the protesting side. I think if I remember correctly, she was in favor of a separate Ireland and not one that's part of the United Kingdom. And so it's not a time period that I know a lot about. And so it would be really interesting to kind of dig into that more, especially too, I mean, it's 1918 and she's a female physician and she goes on to, you know, build this clinic for women and and children, particularly those who are living in poverty. And so it just sounds like such a fascinating story. Like I want a movie about her. (laughs) 
Yeah, she could probably have her own story, movie, miniseries. Netflix, get in on this. So we've kind of touched a little bit on some of the side characters. What were your thoughts about Birdie or Bridie? So, and I'll have to say, I listened to the book. The narration was fabulous. It was really fantastic. Sometimes I find that books that are really scientific, and this one, I will say, it did cover a lot more of, you know, kind of the medical procedures than I would have expected it to. And I like having those read to me rather than me trying to kind of stumble through some of the words and things. And so when I was reading the synopsis, though, I thought it was going to be Birdie. It just Bridie was never a name that I've really heard. So when I started listening and they kept saying Bridie, it was like, wow, that's really interesting. And yeah, she grew up in an orphanage and I don't know. I think they said at one point, they're not sure if that was the name that was given to her by her birth mother or if that was the name that was given to her by the nuns at the orphanage. But yeah, so Bridie. Bridie was an interesting character. I mean, she just kind of shows up out of the blue one day and was like, I'm here to volunteer in this hospital where all of these people have this flu. And on top of that, I'm going to volunteer my time in the maternity ward where, you know, women are going through childbirth and she's got no training and no like experience really other than just she's quick on her feet and she's a good listener and she'll do whatever was asked without questioning it so Bridie was interesting I really enjoyed having her there because like you said like with the technical explanations I felt she was a really good character to prompt that like what are you doing over there and (laughs) then nurse powers would have to like explain and I think that that helped kind of bring out Julia's character and like her personality more so I think that Bridie was a good tool in that sense Yeah, also just very like unassuming type of person. And I feel like she's one of those that you would underestimate very easily. And I like big spoiler alert here. Bridie dies in this book (laughs) terribly, like horribly. And I was really sad about it. As soon as she got sick, I kind of knew she was going to die. But I was really upset. (laughs) I think deep down, I knew what the outcome was going to be. Just because I didn't want it to be that outcome doesn't mean that the author didn't, you know, make the right choice in closing that part of the story. But Julia and Bridie had this experience, you know, where they were up on the roof of the hospital and they were talking for hours. And that's kind of where she learned a lot about Bridie's past and everything. And then they share these really intimate moments. And then Julia's kind of questioning because Julia, what she had just turned 30 years old or something. And, you know, she'd never been married and she hadn't had any children. And, you know, then she's working in this maternity ward and she gets asked by a few different characters, like, Oh, you know, like when are you going to get around to, you know, getting married and starting having children of your own. And she's always just kind of like, it never really appealed to me. And then, you know, she and Bridie had this connection and she starts to wonder like, "Hmm, maybe this is why that, you know, I've never felt that urge or whatever, but, and I don't know a lot about the societal acceptance or viewpoints of Mm -hmm. a same sex relationship in 1918, but I have to imagine it probably wasn't something that was embraced or, you know, really welcomed. And so I wanted to see where that was going to go with the two of them. It was just, you know, this one night of sort of shared opportunity and passion, or if there was a direction that that could have gone more so. So I wanted there to be 
the opportunity for like a follow-up novel of, <laughs> you know, Bridie and Julia, but I guess I'll just have to, I don't know, make it up in my head, but yeah. I wanted to see where it would go. And so thank you, Emma, for <laughs> killing that option. But. Yeah, it definitely does seem because we get two other glimpses of potential same-sex relationships, as you put it, that are between her brother and somebody that he served in the military with. He had a very close friend that she wondered about, like just the depth of their relationship. And then also, I believe, Dr. Lin and kind of like a patron, essentially, or like, I don't remember how it's described in the book. But it's definitely gives that same vibe I get when I read like Victorian books about wealthy people who patron people who have dreams and aspirations that don't have the money to fulfill those type of things. So I definitely also got the feeling that it was not something that was outright discussed and probably just whispered about behind closed doors type of thing, especially with the Catholic church being so prominent in the Irish culture during that time. But Bridie, she seemed like she kind of knew what she was getting into. And it was almost like, as far as volunteering at the hospital, sorry, I like jumped back around to that, but um, she seemed like she knew what she was kind of getting into and didn't necessarily care if she got sick, which was strange to me. She knowingly lied because she said oh yeah I've already had this so I'm, I'll be fine and then you know later when she does catch the the flu and Julia's really angry with her about like why you know did you come in here knowing that you would be exposed to it and I kind of was like yeah did she do that intentionally I don't know I can't imagine having that upbringing and you know continuing to live in that home where she did where she really had no freedoms or nothing to call her own at all and so was she looking for this as just an opportunity to to get out and do something for herself whatever the consequences of that may be then you know she was okay with that I don't know Mm -hmm. or did she really think that she had the flu and that she was immune to it I don't know (laughs) And she also just seemed very okay or at peace with it when she realized she did have the flu. And like, she's like, well, you know, I can only do what I can do type of thing. And I was like, wow, that's like to not feel a overwhelming sense of like, I don't know. She is impressive to me as a character, Mm -hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, between jumping kind of headfirst into this unknown job that she's doing and to do it without any kind of pay or anything to it. And she was literally just a volunteer and never complained about anything. And knowing what she kind of suffered through growing up, she was very wise for her age, it seemed, even if she was reckless. Mm -hmm. I think that those aren't mutually exclusive things. Like you can be wise and have wisdom and, still make the wrong choices sometimes so that's also why I wanted to continue seeing her evolve as a character and grow and age like would she continue having that kind of an attitude or would Julia kind of like maybe mellow her out a little bit (laughs) I don't know (laughs) yeah 
because they did seem to kind of balance each other a little Mm -hmm. bit, which was cool to see just that dynamic. And I think Nurse Powers points it out at some point too, just the help that she's getting from Bridie and how she thinks that their interactions bring out something else in her, like as a person. She makes comments like, oh, Bridie has a really great bedside manner and she could totally be a nurse type of thing. I was like, oh, yes, I want to see Bridie be a nurse. Like that would have been great. Alas, we will not get that. (laughs) So the ending of the book, one of the babies that were born on this maternity ward, his mother dies shortly after his birth and he was born with a cleft palate. And so already, you know, he's kind of got almost two strikes against him in his little life already, because, you know, as one of the nuns points out, I think people who had that cleft palate were almost kind of shunned, just treated differently throughout their life. And the doctor does offer to have it repaired. So I wonder if they went through with that but his mother was an unwed mother I believe and this was the second time that she had been in the unwed mother's home is that right both her and her child died so you're right yes I think it was and so yeah there was a lot of you know kind of disparaging talk from sister Luke about this mother and you know the choices that she made and you know she found herself here again And it was never addressed, the situation that led her to being pregnant and then being at the hospital was never addressed, but it left room for speculation, you know, was this a case of, was she sexually assaulted and then she ended up pregnant, but no one at that point, history or the the place is really going to care if that even was the case. They just see, oh, this is an unwed mother and so they automatically kind of ostracize her and so the baby is left without a mother and it's going to go back to this orphanage and julia has now you know kind of confirmed her suspicions about what happens there and how poorly these children are treated and you know how much they have to do without and so she makes the decision to bring the child home and of course sister luke is very against that but She talks about a little bit about how she thinks maybe having the baby at the house will be good for Tim, you know, something for him to kind of nurture and care for, you know, and so I just am curious, what do you think Tim's reaction was when she shows up with a baby in her arms? It's like, I hear. I would think that there would be just some initial shock. I mean, I would love to think that bringing in a baby or any other person into a family that can provide like love and support, which it sounds like both of them are definitely willing to do, or at least she thinks that her brother Tim would be willing to do that and is capable of that. I hope that he would see that as just an opportunity to, like you said, care for Something else, because he seems very interested in growing and nurturing the garden space that they have. So maybe that's an extension of that. And I think that the best thing I can do is hope that that's a good thing. I think it will be totally fine. I think Julia is a very knowledgeable, competent person who does think some things through. But apparently this was one of those things that just kind of had to happen, which 
I love and I think is definitely a Bridie influence. That little impulsivity kind of rubbed off from Bridie onto Julia. Yes. Yeah. I mean, would she have done that? But I'm with you. I mean, I think that obviously Tim has gone through a horrific trauma that is not adequately being addressed or cared for and and no faults of his or Julia's that just wasn't really understood at the time. The implications and the outcome, yeah, of being in war like that and seeing somebody who you were very close to die right next to you. And so I think, you know, Julia wants to see him do better and isn't really sure how to make that happen but like you said yeah he still has that kind of caring and nurturing and tender part of himself you know just maybe needs somebody else to care for as well Mm -hmm. um, to really kind of fully start to heal and whether or not he ever completely heals probably not but and just an enrichment of life too maybe right yeah maybe it's not just about needing something outside yourself to heal but he also has other moments where you can tell that he still very much cares for julia like he apparently has some really nice oranges imported from like france for her birthday which is really cute and sweet and also made my mouth water when i read that piece not gonna lie (laughs) she did a really good job with those little moments that they're not grandiose. They're not life-changing or anything like that. But yeah, just seeing where she's talking about peeling that orange and, you know, Julia and Bridie sharing it. I know I've said it more than once, but Emma Donahue is a really talented author. And I, I'm looking forward to reading other things that she's put out because I was just really impressed by it. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. If you enjoyed Pull of the Stars and are looking for more books to add to your reading list, you might want to try a couple of books I have to suggest this month. The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams and Liberty by Caitlin Greenwich. I had a couple, too, that I just wanted to add as well. One of them is a former All I Have a Reads winning title. My name is Mary Sutter. That's by Robin Oliviera, and she is a midwife wanting to be a surgeon, and I believe it's the Civil War that's set during. So, you know, if you're drawn to kind of the medical aspects of Pull of the Stars, I think that one would be a really good one. And then the other one that I, I haven't read this book, but I was kind of looking on Novelist, which is a library database that provides like read alike titles and it's called the exiles and it's by Christina Baker Klein, who I believe wrote the orphan train, which was super popular, but this one is set in Australia and it also kind of focuses a little bit on pregnant women. And so it sounded intriguing, I will say. Awesome. I will double that recommendation for my name is Mary Sutter because it was fantastic. I read it a few years ago. It was really great. Well, I'll be back in January with Corey to discuss if cats disappeared from the world. We hope you'll join us again soon. Bye, everybody.